You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Lindsay, founder of Super. Very happy to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. Awesome. First off, I'm super curious. The domain is hiresuper.com. How did you come up with the name and how did you snatch, uh, how did you come up with that name and how did you snatch the domain? It's actually a pretty good story because the idea for Super had been kicking around for a number of years. Um, I'd created an early kind of concept and pitch deck for it, I think back in 2017. And a little bit of a domain hoarder, right? So <laughs> back then, it was a little easier to get some of these simple domains. Um, and so just kind of held on to that uh, for a bit. And, uh, you know, a few years later, kind of looked around and said, mm, no one's still, no one's doing something um, that really solves the problem in this space. And so maybe, it, maybe it's time. Perfect. But then let's go to the usual first question. What is your startup and who is it for? Yeah, so we're building software for property managers. Um, so super specifically is solving the problem space in property management. And I think it's something that's very relevant to most people. I think most people have lived in an apartment building or have had a property manager. And as a tenant or a resident, right, the, off the thing that we often hear is they're just like, ah. I never get a response on time from my property manager. Things are broken. They don't fix it on time. I don't know what's going on, right? People tend to feel like they're dissatisfied with their management. And then on the other side of that, we hear from the managers, oh my God, I'm getting 500 emails a day. I'm getting phone calls, text messages all over the place. I might have a separate platform with tasks that my other team is populating. For me, I cannot stay on top of it all. And so both sides are feeling the pain, right? The, the management teams are saying, I'm overwhelmed. I have too much work. I'm getting communications everywhere. And as a result, things are falling through the cracks. And then on the other hand, the tenants are saying, I don't feel like I'm getting the quality of service that I want. So that's really the pain point that, that we're solving is we're creating workflows and communication tools to help automate and streamline a lot of that so that every stakeholder in the kind of property ecosystem feels like they have the tools to do their jobs well. How did you initially come up with that idea or stumble upon that problem? I, um, you know, background in technology, I've been building and launching and shipping digital products for over 15 um, years now. But for about 10 years, I've been, you know, just investing in real estate on my own. So I have a small portfolio of my own. And uh, as the result, ended up on the board of three homeowners associations, so three condo buildings where we had everything from you know, lawsuits, leaks, <laughs> roof replacements, uh, just, you know, things left and right coming at us. And and that was really eye-opening uh, for me, those experiences, to realize that there are whole segments of the residential real estate population that are just incredibly underserved with technology. There is nothing for them. The best they have is email and whatever off-the-shelf tools they can use. But the other thing that we realized is, you know, as soon as you have, you know, especially in um, uh, community-oriented buildings. You have people that come from all different backgrounds, all different ages, all different um, comfort levels with technology. 
So as soon as one person says, for instance, you know, I know so many people that tell me they're like, I've just been trying to bring Slack into my building. Like, how can that be so hard? Well, this Slack doesn't work as soon as one person says, I'm not logging into that. They're not getting yep. any notifications, right? And so this problem is persistent if you don't meet people where they are and recognize that resident populations are, are, are very vast and very diverse. Um, and so that's another way that we're thinking about solving this problem is how do we make this something where we meet people where they are and make it really inclusive and accessible. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. Understood. And then how big is the company right now in terms of like headcount and revenue roughly? Yeah, so we're eight people um, right now. It's myself and my co-founder. The way that we kind of distribute and think about our team is I'm running kind of go-to-market and operations. So as the CEO, I'm responsible for the company's health and well-being from an operational perspective, for building our revenue, um, and pipelines. And then my co-founder, Bika, is running the product um, side of the house. And so she comes from, you know, a long product design and product strategy background and is leading the engineering team there. So that's kind of how we're split from a functional perspective. I'll say one of the things that we're, we're quite, quite proud of is that, you know, we've really tried to make the goals of the company something that everybody can rally around. So we are really not trying to have product goals versus uh, growth team goals, right? They're really trying to operate as one. So, you know, we're, we're so young and we're so early that uh, we can't really be fractured, like, you know, um, uh, dividing up all of that yet. It's all in service of kind of getting customers, keeping those customers happy as well. Um, from a revenue perspective, you know, we, uh, we started monetizing um, in this past year. So we've only been kind of at market for about um, about a year uh, now. And so we're really, you know, went from, I think that was a really big shift for us going from pre-revenue to starting to, to collect revenue, starting to charge customers, going out into market and getting more of them. And so, um, you know, we're, we're trying to run towards all of the standard milestones that you get to that first you know, 100K to 250 to 500 to 1 mil. So that's kind of the year ahead for us. Understood. And then both emotionally and operationally, like what what was this? How was that shift like from pre-revenue to monetizing for you as like the the head of the org? You know, I'm really glad you asked that because very few people ask this question. And I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm like, there's like this really, really fun moment when you're in an early stage, like really early stage startup where you're just building up data and you don't know anything yet and you're just learning from customers and it's actually very safe. <laughs> Um, that earliest stage feels the safest because you're just like, oh, we don't know anything yet. And so we don't, we don't have enough to go and sell and, and we're just learning. As soon as you make that switch to saying, we're going to start charging customers and we're on the hook for revenue growth, you're like naked out there, right? <laughs> like you're exposed, you're out there, you're getting customer feedback, right? You are getting uh, sales feedback around what's working and what's not working, you are really putting everything to the stress test. And I think, you know, to that kind of mental emotional side of it, there is a, I, I've been thinking about this idea of like, there's like this very cozy, comfortable um, period of being in beta or being pre-beta and being in a private 
thing that uh, you don't have any accountability really other than to yourself at that point. And then as soon as you flip that switch and now you're accountable to customers, now you're saying this is the start date at which we are now starting to show our revenue growth and our traction. That is uh, something that you know feels like it's very exposing. <laughs> Um, and it just shifts the entire culture of the org as well, right? In that you're now saying, do I prioritize this customer that um, has an issue or has a request? Um, how much do I prioritize that versus what I think I need to do for the next generation of customers I'm bringing on? And it just introduces a lot more complexity um, to your organization. So it's a, it's a pretty big mental model shift um, to, to make it. And I would actually say I would encourage... Um, other founders to just do that as quickly as possible because that comfortable bubble of beta is too comfortable for a reason, right? You shouldn't be that comfortable um, about things. So kind of pushing to get customer feedback as quickly as possible, pushing to get um, sales feedback around whether your pitch is resonating, is that value proposition strong enough, you know, do it as early as possible. Understood. Then, so you, in hindsight, would have started that a bit earlier then or... I actually think so. We, I pushed pretty hard for that. So again, my background is more on the go-to-market um, side of things. So I was saying, you know, I need something to be able to go and sell <laughs> to yeah. people. And I think I actually pushed our product team at that stage into a place that was a little uncomfortable for them. And I think if it was, you know, a, a purely product-led organization, we probably would have been in beta for another six months or so before it really felt like, okay, this is, you know, good to get out into a broader world. Um, and I think that's a really healthy tension. It's something that my co-founder and I talk about a lot, which is, you know, we should be pushing and pulling on these things. And again, these goals are working in tandem together. Um, and so the, the value that we've gotten out of learning from customer feedback, but also I think just the data that you're able to get, even with a small number of users, Right from our our initial beta, you're getting what like 20 users a day on the platform. Um, for the type of testing that we were doing at that stage, there's actually no way to really replicate and run into the types of bugs and issues that you're going to yeah. have until you have a thousand customers doing that. And so that's been really meaningful in in pushing for the maturity of how we're doing things is just having the scale that customers bring and just watching what they do. It's like sometimes so incredibly far from what you think they would be doing um, with it. And and uh, that's really interesting to, to be able to learn from as well. So, you know, you're, you're just guessing less um, the earlier you can start to put it in front of people. Even if you feel like this just isn't there yet, I would just say I would just advocate for for getting it out there. I would love to double click on the engineering side of things. And also one thing I I found on your LinkedIn, which I obviously stalked before we jumped on here, and that you have a fractional CTO right now. Is that correct? Um so yes, we did have a fractional CTO that we brought on in kind of the earlier days of building out our engineering team. And I think actually we were we had a lot of conversations about this and um, you know, went back and forth to do you want to bring on a full-time CTO? What should the responsibilities be? And I think what we realized was for the stage that um, we are at, the the work right now really is just hands-on IC work, right? 
um, that's like the most important yep. thing to be able to to have. And that's where we really should be investing our time and our resources. Um, at the same time, having some the ability to zoom out and think about our architecture in a strategic way, think about where we're going and to be able to chart that path and to validate some things technically to make sure that we're building for the future scale um, that we want and that we are being thoughtful and, and also setting up the engineering processes um, in a way that is making your entire team stronger. That was something we felt was important to invest in as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was super curious about that because I, the two paths I see is number a, the mo what most people do is basically they get an engineer or two, one engineer just gets the CTO title slapped on basically, even though they are like technical, like a, maybe like a senior engineer just coding away or the full outsourcing to an agency and you basically in a way own like the the marketing and the, the strategy but like the actual engineering is outsourced fully. How did you, so how did you find that fractional CTO? And then also like, did that fractional CTO make the first two engineering hires? Like I, I would love for you to take yeah. us a bit deeper into that because I think a lot of non-technical founders have that issue of like needing to make the decision which way to go. And to be honest, without being a developer, hiring a developer and knowing if he or she is good is crazy hard. So take yes. us through that. Yeah. yeah. Um, to give a little bit of context, so my co-founder Vika had been in a big tech company for, for many years and had been both in the in the individual contributor route and in the manager um, route. And so I think that gives, you know, and, and um, I think, you know, a lot for a lot of us as you get more senior in your career, um, you're you're thrown into management um, uh, roles. I think what we've seen is that those are incredibly different paths that have incredibly different skill sets that are required. And you can't just say you've been here the longest, therefore you are now the CTO. It just doesn't work, right? Um, so that's that's the first thing is just recognizing that these are actually capabilities and skill sets. It's not just based on how many years you've been doing something. It's not just based on um, the seniority of that person, their tenure within the organization. It's really about right finding the right fit for people. And I know sometimes that can lead to some uncomfortable conversations as well, because there are sometimes expectations um, from people in that way. And I think just really, I think one thing that we've just really thought about very deeply is as a people-led organization, right? You know, especially at, at, at where we are right now, what do we have? We have our team. Really. Um, yep. And so how do you make sure that you're creating a path that is reflective of the things that they will excel in and that you're setting them up for success, but that you're also pushing them into growth areas, right, as well, and you're supporting that growth. And that means being very upfront and honest and transparent around what are strengths and opportunities for improvement and where do we need to coach people and provide them with the support as well be able to get into the, the growth path that they want as well. So I think that's something we've been pretty intentional about. And I think thinking about, you know, when we first brought on um, somebody in a fractional role, it was actually thinking about, well, we don't actually need this full time because we don't have a big enough team for that. But we do feel like there is value in investing in the team to get coaching and to get the support and to see kind of another uh, lens on how this how this career path could shape out for them. And to build on those capabilities for them. So that's kind of the, the first part um, of it. I would say the second is I come from a very long agency background. So kind of previously in my life, 
um, about 10 years, a little bit over on the consulting and agency side, including at places where, um, you know, we were, we were building products, um, for other folks. And so I deeply understand the value of bringing an outside, um, team in to solve things. And I think deeply understand kind of when that's valuable. I also know the pitfalls <laughs> of that as well. And I, and I would, you know, really encourage, I think for the earliest stage, of your company and getting it off the ground, outsourcing the technology. If what it, and and I would say the caveat to that is some startups are not purely technology companies, right? You might be tech enabled, or you know your services, right? So I would say if your core thing that you're selling is software, you need to really understand how you are building that, and you need to be thinking about and have a team around you that is not that is able to think about what's going to happen in one year, two years, three years from now with this. Because at the end of the day, somebody that's in-house with you is going to be the one to live with the pain of their decisions in a different way than an outsourced agency that's with you for an engagement for six months to get your MVP out the door is, right? They can spit and glue whatever they want. And you might, as a non-technical person, might be like, great, I've got something. I've got a front-end application. I've got something that I can show to people. And it's just going to fall apart really quickly because they're not on the hook usually for what comes next um, after that. And frankly, you probably haven't given the brief <laughs> that even says, here's what we think is coming next. And so I think just being very thoughtful about how you build um, the capabilities that you have for that early technical and, and, and just also recognizing like you're not always going to get it right. Um, the reality is you're going to learn so much about your product along the way that you are going to have to redo things. It's like a necessary part of the process, but how do you want to deal with some of the ramifications of that down the road? Is that something that you want your team to be dealing with? Is that something that you want another team um, to be dealing with? So these are, you know, I think just foundational questions around how, how you want to run your operations. I could not agree more with that. And I mean, my, my day job is running React Squad, which is basically an agency where we quote unquote lend our developers to startups. And the one criteria we have is your startup needs a CTO and one more developer in there to make sure you know how to manage a developer. And then we happily can give you a developer for three months, six months, or two years plus that we even had happen. But I, I, I couldn't put more weight on that. Like, don't just give out your whole, like, build our MVP, build my startup to some agency in wherever, basically, and just pray that it works out. Then let's that probably get to... Won't. <laughs> that's very likely what? the end of the story, yes. Um, I would love to get to uh, one specific point, and you pointed a bit to that, Is that it? you have, like, an extensive marketing background, so I would love for you to quickly run us through your background in marketing, and then how do you approach building a startup with all of that marketing experience in mind? Yeah, so, um, you know, quickly on, on background, um, I've worked kind of in-house at startups, and then also I mentioned on the consulting and agency side. Um, for a while and across those really thinking about how to build the businesses um, around uh, those organizations and kind of how to build brand and reputational and revenue growth um, for them. So kind of earliest, earliest job was as a straddling product and sales um, at an online publisher. This was 
the time before there were, you know, we weren't even thinking about mobile and responsive web um, at that time, but publishing has always been hit really hard. I feel like that's just always an industry that's being disrupted. And so um, thinking about how to create products that could open up new revenue streams for us. So that was a really nice kind of like first deep dive into bringing those capabilities together. Um, and then went on to work uh, at a number of agencies, have an have a extensive track record of, of working at places that then got acquired. Um, and in some cases, um, being part of the, uh, you know, integration and, and um, merger process um, for that. And, and that's kind of actually what opened me up to saying, I really love being at early teams. I love being at small teams and building out some of the the frameworks and the processes and kind of seeing it from zero to one. And so every time we would get acquired, I would kind of go back to a smaller <laughs> um, company from there and then kind of do it all over again. Um, and then uh, along along those experiences, ended up working alongside um, many different types of companies and, and uh, clients. So a lot of them, you know, building out um, new types of businesses, new types of business models, um, new types of digital products, um, but always bring that strategic lens to how are we going to deliver on the value for your organization um, there. So not just kind of like, how do we build a cool product, but how do we build a cool product that actually um, meets the goals of the organization? Then went on to an early stage startup. It was a Series B fintech um, startup and got them kind of through their first commercialization, setting up those playbooks, um, building out the initial kind of marketing team um, there and uh, getting them to kind of those first revenue um, and launch milestones as well. So just kind of like a, a very varied type of background working across different types of companies there. And I will say that... Um, there are a couple of things that I'm really grateful for having had that experience. I think the first is uh, really an understanding of what good looks like. And I think that's something that agencies actually give you. And I've, I've thought about this and I've written about this as well, which is um, when you work at an agency, no one's going to hire you if you're not delivering better than what they could do with their existing teams, right? Um, and so you just have to be extremely good. You have to work faster than an in-house team. You have to work uh, more creatively, right? There's just a lot of things about being in an agency environment that I think really push um, push you towards excellence and also working around a group of other people that really have that same mentality um, around it as well. And so that I think is um, is something I'm really grateful for because what that allowed me to do was to have essentially like 20 dozen reps <laughs> on how to build something from scratch before I even had to do it for myself, right? You can do that at, at, at jobs, but also if you're working with clients, you know, you have a new one every three to six months that you're working with, um, you're doing that over and over and over again. Um, and so that gives you a lot of confidence, I think, around, you know, things that you've learned in the past and, and applying some best practices from other industries into it, right? Um, so that I think was a, certainly something that, uh, was really helpful. Um, as far as the things that that's impacted our organization on, uh, you know, I think I mentioned the metrics, um, that we measure ourselves on are different. Like we are not the type of organization that values how many deploys did you do this week or how many lines of code, right? Like that is actually to us a vanity metric. Um, and so we really try to get to fundamentals on that, which is, is this something customers want to use and are willing to buy, right? Um, and are we solving that core problem 
uh, for them? Or are they using us for a different use case, right? We really want to make sure that we're kind of aligning ourselves with um, product market fit that way. Um, the other thing is that I will say the benefit really is um, when you know how to build a big brand platform, doing so for a very small organization where you can make all of the decisions means we can move incredibly fast on iterating on go to market. Um, and so I often hear from people, they think that we're much bigger <laughs> than we are. They think that we've been around for a lot longer. And, and to a certain extent, that is a huge uh, benefit for us, right? When you're an early stage startup, you yep. need to be able to say, hey, we're, we're here to stay and we're legitimate and you can trust us um, with your business as well if you're going to you know, bring us on um, as a customer. And so really being able to convey the cares that we take and how we think about our brand and our value um, in a way that matches uh, externally um, has been a really good benefit. I love that. And then on the, on the tactics and specifics, is there anything – like for example, like any specific channel you 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 especially focus on, or like on the like for me as a marketing newbie, like any very tactical thing that you took over from from that years of agency experience, for example. I mean, I actually think the 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 main thing is um, not to get too enamored with some of the digital marketing best practices. And it's funny, like some people in the space are like, "What does digital marketing even mean?" Um, these days, right? So it's like, you know, when you're an early stage company and you don't have product market fit yet, you don't really know what language is hitting with people, you're just going to spend a lot of money if you're putting dollars into acquisition via Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, right? I think the way to think about that is if you do have a little bit of money to play around with that, it's not really for acquisition because those channels have gotten so expensive and so competitive that you need, you really need a lot of money to make that work for you. And you also need messaging that you feel very confident is going to hit for that. What you can use those channels for is you can use them to learn really rapidly because they're going to give you reach that you don't have, right? So we, for instance, run um, tests on messaging and you'll spend like 20 bucks <laughs> or something like that. Like you don't have to spend a lot, right, on it. Um, and you can test three variations of something and get it in front of a few thousand people. And whoever is, and you know, whichever one is winning as far as engagement, click-throughs, um, like don't even focus on did it book a demo because again, you need so much scale for that with these channels. Um, and a lot of these leads are not gonna be qualified at all when they come through. But what you can test is, did that connect with someone right away? Was that one liner more effective than this other one? So it's a really nice way to kind of do some A-B testing, um, essentially on things. And, and I would say, just just think of it that way, especially at the early stage, you don't have the money, you just keep pouring down on top of funnel. And so it can help you sharpen your top of funnel that way. I think the other thing that's really interesting is sales in this current environment that's very AI driven. I was just talking to another founder about this the other day. We were like, Sales right now, people are so inundated because now they're all of these like AI driven email and you know, it's so easy to, to call and so many spam and robocallers, right? I think that a lot of the prospects out there, they are not paying attention because they are overwhelmed. So if you just rely on, I'm going to blast out a hundred, I'm going to buy a list of a hundred thousand names and I'm going to blast them out with emails and I'm going to keep drip campaigning them for six months until they unsubscribe, until they all unsubscribe, right? I don't actually think you're going to be very effective uh, there. And, and it's kind of this interesting thing of like, be scrappy 
get back to basics, um, which is you only need at the stage right now, like even, you know, where you're into selling right right now, every single customer matters so deeply, right? I don't need 10. I need one, <laughs> right? Um, and so find those customers and find ways to connect with them on an extremely human level. And I think that in this age of AI-driven sales, that is going to be the huge differentiator. Go to their office, buy them lunch, bring them coffee, um, invite them to a dinner event, right? These are the kinds of things that if you invest the time and energy in because you've, you've narrowed in that prospect and you said you're worth spending time on and I'm going to do hyper-personalized things for you are going to be much more effective as well. So I'm kind of saying, you know, uh, a lot of the kind of mass marketing tools out there are only going to get you so far at this at this early stage because you don't have, you know, you don't have the the money to spend on all of that top of funnel. You don't have the brand credibility yet um, to uh, to go out there and and just be cold calling people and have them recognize your company's name. I love that. And then because we're coming close to time, what's one last thing? before we wrap up is basically like what's the long-term or like big vision for you meaning if we would have another pot in five years like what's the thing that you want to tell me then <laughs> oh my god five years is gonna feel like 20 um yeah. in that time <laughs> um <laughs> i think you know the big vision really is and i think it's very specific to our industry. So I will say, you know, working in the real estate space, it, it is definitely behind from a technology perspective. And if anything, what we've learned is very difficult market in that it is um, not only do they, are they not typical buyers of technology, there's a lot of resistance, like change is, is hard um, for people. And when you're in an industry that is always being changed by new laws, by, um, you know, uh, new customer expectations and all of that, you're already being confronted with it all the time. And so, you know, in five years, I, I think of it as we want to build a brand and a company that people associate with a well-run building. So our idea is, you know, what does success look like? It's that somebody sees that super is part of the software stack that that building is using, and they think that's a well-run building, and that's what I want to live in. So if we're doing our jobs right, right, we are making it such that that resident experience in that building is a healthier, safer better place to live um and that's just well recognized at that point i love that so those should be the last words here but finally where can people find you and super online yep so you can find us at hire h-i-r-e super s-u-p-e-r.com so that's hire super.com and obviously you can find me on linkedin twitter all the normal channels as well and we will make sure to link everything up below Lindsay, Perfect. thanks a ton. Thank you. This was really fun. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.